This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Steve, buddy, how's it going? Your, your face is kind of hairy. Like what's going on with that? So people can't see you or see us. And um, so that's a couple things. First of all, for our listeners, if you're listening and you're interested, let us know how you feel about this on a YouTube format. We're going to continue to do the podcast because you guys told us you wanted that. But as we're growing the platform, we have the option now to do a YouTube-based scenario. So offer both and you can see live video. Um I can see the benefits as an example, that last one with Josh Hamilton a couple of weeks ago, yeah. uh, he had a PowerPoint that would have been great for, to use the video portion and have it on YouTube. Um, I think too, like, um, you know, some of the taxidermy ones, um, that's another great opportunity. Um, and just a total segue, um, a lot of feedback we got is that podcast with uh, Trevor Carruthers, uh, Rackmaster Taxidermy, the audio quality was really poor, but the content was fantastic. So we're going to re-record that one. I've talked to Trev. He's pretty upset that the uh, quality was so poor. We are too. Um, as you know, we switched into this new format, um, which the f- feedback we got is much better. So um, we're going to re-record that session down the road here in the next uh, mm-hmm. few weeks as well. So, Yeah, the, the only downside to going to a YouTube format is they have to stare at us. Right. That's <laughs> th- throw a lot of people off because we got faces for radio, right? Yeah, uh, fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So anyway, this is a cool episode. Um, We sit down with uh, my hunting partner, Mike Kirk, and I were fresh off the mountain from northern BC. We did a fly-in trip uh, to an unnamed lake in the northwest, Region 6, um, and had a great hunt. You're going to hear all about it. Uh, We had some highs and lows and uh, some Mm -hmm. failures, some successes. Um, I think it's just a great episode. Mike is so knowledgeable. He he taught me everything I I know now about mountain hunting, which probably isn't a lot. Sorry, Mike, but uh, he did (laughs) teach me everything I know. Um, Super knowledgeable guy. Uh, One of those guys that researches everything he does to almost to a fault, really. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's so knowledgeable. So uh, real cool podcast. I enjoyed this one. It was fun. We talked about our hunt. We had a lot of great memories on that hunt. Um, and you know, like any hunt too, there's, there's those downtimes, right. Where you're just, uh, dragging and, uh, just trying to get through and fight to live to fight another day. But, uh, anyway, real cool podcast episode, uh, 41 with, uh, myself and Mike Kirk on the Northern Northwest mountains of British Columbia. Yeah, it was, it, it was great. Uh, for those that don't know, you guys stopped by here and spent a night before going off uh, to your hunt. Did, when you talk about Mike doing the research, as soon as he found out where I'm going, he had the iPad out and he was showing me markers and this is where you got to go and this is where we camped. And it was just, wow, just just a wealth of information. We talked about uh, food and packing and how to allocate it. And it was, like like you said, it was even even down to fat, uh, pack fitting on me. It was right. You got to pull on this. You got to do that. And if this happens, you do this. It was. It was. It was great. Yeah, for sure. No, he's he's a pleasure to hunt with, and uh, you know, one of the most uh, researched guys I know. He's and and very knowledgeable in the mountains. He's been uh, mountain hunting for thirty plus years. You know, he talks about his first hunt. It was funny. We ran into a couple of guys in the backcountry. Um, when we were back there and, and he was telling about his first hunt where he had two sets of boots, he literally had boots oh on his God. feet and then another set in case they got wet. Right. So, wow. um, that's not really the recommended procedure for any of you listening. Um, you probably, yeah, don't, don't take Mac, Mike's advice on that, but you know, he went to the school of hard knocks and, uh, and learned the hard way. And, and just, and, and the cool thing too, with hunt, hunting with Mike is that he's adaptable, right? When I first started hunting with him, he, he's like, well, this is how you do it. And then, 
you know, there's a lot of new things that came out talking to guys using poles. He'd never used poles before. Well, now it was, I was on the mountain with him and we, we had lightweight packs so like 25, 30 pounds. We were just doing a day hunt. We were kind of on the plateau, just cruising around and he had his poles with him. I'm thinking, Oh buddy, you've come a long ways. You know, it, it really didn't need <laughs> poles, but he still had them. And it's just that security. Once you get a set of poles in your hands when you're hunting, um, it's, uh, it's fantastic, right? It, it's really, um, a great resource to have with you when you're out there and just you're always on unstable ground in the mountains right so having those poles it just gives you that four legs instead of two your four-wheel drive now right so that's right little things you wouldn't think of right Uh, being a new mountain hunter it's like oh i never would have thought of bringing hiking poles or trekking poles whatever you call them and yeah it's little things like that 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 only comes with knowledge of experience right yeah. So on that note, Mike and I both had pole failures. He busted one of his poles, carbon fiber, and uh, it was operator error for sure. He can't blame it. We have uh, black diamond uh, carbon trekking poles. They're fantastic. I, I love mine. Um, and then Mike, um, I think mine are five or six years old now and the cork handle, uh, which I love, by the way, they're the cork handle version. They're starting to fail now. So um, I'm going to have to replace them this year. But uh, so if anyone has any feedback for us, let us know. Uh, What's our email? Is it communications at wildsheepsociety.com? Is that what? Yeah, communications at wildsheepsociety.com. If you have any recommendations for polls uh, that you think Mike and I could try out, let us know. Um, I'm probably going to go back to Black Diamond. I love them, but I'd love to hear anyone's feedback on some great polls. I know Leckie's obviously uh, Mm -hmm. does a great job on polls as well, but I've never run them. So um, love to hear your feedback on that if you're listening and have some comments for us. Okay, so a couple things to talk about. Steve, what's the wildfire situation in British Columbia? Oh man, yeah, still raging. Uh, last time we talked about how Lytton and Monty Lake have been hit, and now it sounds like 60 to 70 structures on the west side of Kelowna, Okanagan, Indian Band have been uh, nailed. Yeah, crews are still fighting hard. There's been orders. Uh, Logan Lake was told to get out. Uh, little spots of Kamloops were on alert, and it's un- they, they say the word unprecedented has been thrown a lot uh, the last year or so, and this is another great descriptor for it. It's unprecedented. We've never seen a wildfire season like this. And it goes back to what we keep touching on, uh, like we did with John Davies in previous podcast about uh, lack of forest management and managing for, uh, for, for profit versus biodiversity. And it's, it's, it's scary out there and our heart goes out to those that are affected and uh, will be affected. And yeah, just it's, it's tragic. It really truly is. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Steve. So yeah, um, definitely thinking about our, our friends out there and and all the, the struggles people are going through. And there's nothing worse than worrying about the security of your home, right? I just can't imagine, you know, your your family's uh, welfare, health and safety, and, and then next thing, loss of personal property. So just a horrible year. And hopefully we can get some uh, some cooler cooler weather and get some rain and, and uh, see some of this stuff abated for sure. Um, yeah, okay, let's... I know, I know some of the- some of those spots have got rain over the last week, but well, you're, you're throwing a bucket into the ocean, right? But yeah, as you yeah. said, need a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So segue now, um, this past weekend, we had our wild sheep Jurassic classic in Chilliwack, uh, another fantastic event, um, raising money for wild sheep in British Columbia. Uh, this year COVID affected things. We had to cancel the Jurassic last year, sadly this mm-hmm. year, um, we uh, pared it down a little bit. We ended up with 11 teams instead of the um, – no, no, we had 22 teams, and we normally run 28, so we're six teams short this year. And basically what happened is uh, there's just some people that couldn't commit with COVID. Um, a bunch of our American friends couldn't make it up just with all the regulations and everything that needed to be done and requirements to be vaccinated and everything just couldn't come together. So a few cancellations there, but still a great fe- uh, weekend. Fantastic. Uh, great support from Great River Fishing Adventures and a bunch of us volunteers out there working hard and just putting uh, put on a great event and uh, just great to see so many people getting together and celebrating wild sheep and raising some money for conservation while we're at it. Yeah, raffle sold out, the Seiko raffle from uh, Steiner and uh, Stoger, uh, great, great new sponsors we brought on board and truly thankful for them. And yeah, raffle sold out there as uh, as we expected. It's always a great surprise, though, when it does. 
Yeah, it's nice, right? That uh, was a full donation, like you said, from Sacco Canada and Steiner Canada. And um, we sold tickets on that and that nets us about $20,000 through uh, through our gaming account. So, uh, And that money's all going to go back to the Fraser River Project in Region, region 3 and Region 5. And uh, just uh, such a great project uh, to support wild sheep conservation. Uh, again, that Fraser River Project's our biggest fiscal commitment ever for the Wild Sheep Society of BC. I think we were at 99,000 over the last two years we put into that. And then this is just another extension of that. Uh, uh, Abbotsford Fish and Game jumped on. I think their donation towards that Region 3 project was $17,500. And we're going to do a call to action through our membership and see if people want to jump on board to to further that because we're fundraising for the next three years to continue our conservation work in the Fraser River there. So um, mm-hmm. Yeah, overall, just a great success, uh, great weekend on the, the Fraser River and um, just so much fun uh, raising money for wild sheep. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's We say it all the time. It's the heart of the Wild Sheep Society where where this money is going. That's where the Wild Sheep Society started. And that's it, it's, it's near and dear to our to our membership's hearts as well. And we know that. Well said, Steve. OK, so episode 41 uh, Kyle Stelter, Mike Kirk, sitting down to talk about their Northwestern BC stone sheep hunt. Enjoy. If you looked up the words conservation superhero in the dictionary, you would see a picture of our friend Omer from Precision Optics, a tireless donor and supporter of all things wild sheep. Precision Optics, located in Quinell, British Columbia, truly stands alone in the high alpine. From optics to rifles to outdoor gear and a knowledge that cannot be surpassed, toss in that killer smile and you have a total conservation package. Precision Optics, we are truly thankful for the support you show us every step of the way. Find them online at precisionoptics.net or in Aroma Foods, located just off Highway 97 in Quinell, BC. Michael J. Kirk, Steve something Hamilton. I don't know your middle. What's your middle name, Steve? Starts with a T. Ends with a T. Isn't what you think it is. Tru- but it's yes. Trust. Yes. Got it. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, so Mike and I just got out of the bush, came off the mountain. Uh, we got home two days ago, did the marathon drive home 24 hours on the road and back to uh, the south coast um, and had a very successful stone sheep hunt in northern British Columbia region six for those of you from outside of BC that's the northwestern part of the province so region seven's over on the east side west side is region six it's more coastal um, we're what 200k off the coast Mike 150k off the coast pretty close cl- close to the coast anyway right yeah definitely within the coastal climate effects for sure mm-hmm. so yeah I said, so uh, I you said you didn't get a sheep you said successful Dude, is that your measure of success? Um, <laughs> for, a, for a sheep hunter, yeah. I see all these first I see all these first timers coming back and they're they're posting pictures of doll sheep and big horns and, and stones. I'm like, what the hell? These guys make it look easy. So isn't that the, the measure? Actually Kyle's yeah. measure of success is spending two weeks with me in the mountains. So that's every year whole, successful. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast that we are charging admission for. <laughs> Anyone that can spend two weeks in the mountains with Mike uh, and last that long, it is a, definitely a success. There's no question there. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's um, a long haul. Anyway, uh, I guess where we're going with this is uh, Mike and I spent a lot of time uh, chasing stone sheep around, and um, you know, there's a bunch of things on that trip, and you know, uh, we're I wouldn't consider us experienced sheep hunters when we look at a Clay Lancaster or a Shane Pallister. Um, but uh, we do spend a lot of time in the mountains. We go every year. We chase sheep every year. Um, so we're going to tell you some stuff on this podcast that worked for us, that didn't work for us. But if Clay or, or Shane tells you something different, listen to them because they're the professionals. Um, but that said, um, you know, Mike and I are DIY. We're do-it-ourselves uh, backcountry guys that, that go sheep hunting every year, which is a little different than a guided hunt. Um, uh, in the sense that we're doing ourselves and we don't have that infrastructure. So it's a little bit of a nuance there. So guys that are on guided hunts, you may pick up a few tips on this. And then for guys that are DIY guys that are going on their own sheep hunt, this is sort of kind of how we're uh, our approach and, and kind of our outlook, which again, you know, if you've got the support of a guide outfitter, you're obviously going to be um, a little bit different than what we do in the back country there. So anyway, Mike and I talked about this and we thought, you know, we had some really cool experiences. We're going to talk a little bit about our hunt. We're probably going to break this up into three different podcasts. So um, we're going to part one, we'll talk about the hunt itself. Um, and we'll talk about some of the things that happened and, and some of the things that, you know, problems we had or issues that came up. 
And then uh, we thought we'd talk about our gear and we kind of dive into that. And, and we've got some new gear pieces. We need some new gear pieces that we'd like to get, stuff that we're looking at. We'll do some name dropping um, on what worked for us. Doesn't mean that there isn't a better system out there, but kind of what we used and what worked well for us. Um, and then um, in the, the third one was kind of some tips and tricks some things we learned. Every year we go into the bush, we learn something new every year. And I think that's pretty common. Talking to even experienced guides, they're always learning stuff as well. So um, yeah, really stoked. I'm glad uh, you could make the, the podcast, Mike. And uh, just have to say, it was a great trip. I had such a great time. Um, and Steve brought up a good point. What's the measure of success on the stone sheep hunt? So Mike, what, what's the measure of success for you? I'd just like to hear what your thoughts are on that. Okay. Um, well, I think that's an evolving sort of thought process. You know, when I was young, the measure of success was going north and maybe coming back with a bit of meat and uh, taking in the surroundings, you know, the wildlife and the mountains and stuff. But as I aged, my sort of expectations for a successful hunt, uh, I guess they would say they evolve in age as well. Now a successful hunt is, uh, is part of the part of the planning uh, process is definitely um, a big part for me. Like I, I enjoy sort of planning it and letting that plan come to fruition. Um, and if I can meet those expectations in itself, that's a successful hunt. That's one portion of a successful hunt. And um, let's see. So as far as coming back and feeling fulfilled, like I went up there and had a great time, I think pretty much almost every year now, uh, regardless of the outcome, whether we have sheep meat in the freezer or not, to me, it's a successful trip. Um, this year we came back with, uh, unfortunately with no, no meat in the freezer. However, I think Kyle and I can both conclusively say it was, it was a great trip as Kyle's already touched on. Um, just getting in the mountains, you know, like, uh, regardless of the weather, obviously we always want the weather to be pristine and sheep hunters are like farmers, you know, it's either too much rain, not enough rain, <laughs> it's overcast or it's, uh, it's too sunny. And this year for the first few days, it was, it was definitely, it was the heat of the sun on the mountains, which definitely affected, uh, the game and, and had them all sort of screwed in tight into the mountains. But yeah, so in retrospect, I would say, just getting into the backcountry, you know, seeing new country. Um, to me, I guess uh, I'd like to think of myself as an explorer at heart. And I think Kyle would attest to that. I'm not great at sitting around and waiting for the rams to come to us. <laughs> I always have to see what's, you know, yeah. I always have to see what's over the next mountain. And if I can see new country, um, uh, new vistas, and just experience the mountains, to me, that's a successful trip. Yeah, right on. Um, yeah, the interesting thing, one of the things that I, I love and you love, I know we talked about this, is seeing grizzly in the backcountry and uh, not too close. Like we seen one last year at 100 yards. That was a little too close. Um, and the year before, I think it was, what, 12 yards? We seen, yeah, exactly. seen that one. <laughs> that, that, was, that was a little close. But, um, you know, this year we didn't even get our eyes on a grizz, which was interesting. They were there. We seen a lot of sign, but it seemed they were wholly nocturnal because we just never – there was a ton of moose sign, ton of uh, grizz sign, a uh, ton of wolf sign and we never seen any of those three animals right so very interesting but the cool thing we did see is we've seen some awesome stone sheep some rams some ewes some lambs um, and just anecdotally where we were there was really good lamb recruitment there we've seen um, a number of ewes with with lambs and stuff like that so that was fantastic we've seen a number of bands of rams which was awesome and then uh, I, I was packing a goat tag and uh we wouldn't have had too much trouble uh, fulfilling that tag. We had uh, two billies at 25 yards, and uh, it looked like they were ready to to take us on. But in the end, uh, yeah, I guess they they realized that they weren't going to mess with Mike and I. But uh, yeah, it was very cool. So yeah, in typical Kyle Stelter fashion, the uh, the mountain ungulates stalked us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, if anyone knows the backstory to that, and uh, if you're listening and you email us and tell us the backstory of the ungulate stalking us, what that means and why Mike said that, um, we'll send you a WSSBC hat. So that's a tough one. And I don't think we've ever had on the podcast. So it might be a buddy that knows the story or something like that. But uh, if you know the backstory and uh, we'll share that at a later date on, on where, where that story comes from. So, uh, okay. So let's talk a little bit about planning this hunt, Mike, like you talk about the planning aspect and that's, you know, that, We've hunted together now since 2009. I think we started hunting together. Actually, 08, maybe it was. Yeah, 08. And uh, we've we've kind of had these different experiences, and, and I feel that we have different strengths. And, and one of your strengths is definitely the planning aspect of it. You always have everything meticulously laid out and everything like that. So um, on that note, how important it is to be flexible 
when you're going on these trips and, and, and you might know where we're headed with that. Um, and, and, uh, obviously we're not going to talk any lakes or where we flew into. We we're talking about Northwestern BC. Um, but talk about, you know, our plan where we're going to go and how you spent the hours and hours planning it. And then the outcome of that. Sure. So, um, as you know, Kyle and, and Steve, you probably are figuring out now, but uh, I generally enjoy the planning stage. I'm all over Google Maps. I can conservatively say I probably spend 100 to 150 hours per annum on Google Maps just or Google Earth. I just love doing it. I like I like finding these uh, the horse trails that uh, may not be advertised or maybe someone hasn't told us about. Um, I like I like finding well, the initial stage is I pick a lake. You know, I, Kyle and I will head over a coffee or a beer. We'll talk about what we want, what we want to experience. And and generally, we like to go to areas that may be less popular, maybe on the fringe of the stone sheep habitat, because we'd rather see less sheep and less people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we pick a lake for that's one of the criteria. Then in addition to that, um, then, we, then we're going to look at, you know, accessibility, whether we want to fly in, whether we want to hike in. Um, and then the planning starts, you know. So we say this... Lake X in Region 6 or Region 7. Um, and oh, I should back up a little bit. Uh, variety as well. We, we generally like to go to an area we know for two or three seasons max, and then we'll shake it up, you know, which is unfortunate for us. It probably lowers our success ratio because, you know, we finally figure out where the rams are and their, their habits and where they go when they're pressured. But uh, there again, to touch on the, what I said earlier, I just like new area, and I think Kyle does as well. You, you feel like you're stepping back in time and you're being a bit of an explorer. Um, so then we, we'll pick a lake, and then I start the research. Um, you know, start networking with friends. Anybody been in there before? Can they tell us about the, about the, uh, the horse trails, um, whether there's water on top of the mountains or whether we have to haul water up with us, all the different variables like that. And of course, sheep, you know, what are the sheep numbers like um, historically? And maybe within the last couple of years, hopefully somebody's been in there. Um, and then I just get down, I just start grinding away on Google, on Google Earth. You know, I'll, I'll look at any pictures I can source off the internet and then I'll fly right in on Google Earth and I'll try to pinpoint that exact location. <laughs> and then uh, then I just start looking at terrain around that area because you'll have the historical areas uh, where other people have gone in there and they've seen rams. However, those aren't the only areas obviously that hold rams. So then I'll start looking at areas that most likely would hold rams. You know, like areas that uh, look like they have good feed areas with good uh, escape terrain above it, that sort of thing. Um, and that takes many hours. And then uh, of course we'll try to make plans with a float operator. Um, and see if those dates uh, are available and if there's any competition going in there previous to us or after our departure as well, which will impact our decision on where to go. Um, so this year, we'd, uh, we plan on going to a lake in Region 6. Uh, it's not such a popular area. However, you know we know it holds good rams, so therefore we chose it. Um, and on our way up, we just phoned up the uh, float operator just to confirm our time of departure and location. Uh, and then... We were told, or, I, or Kyle asked whether or not there was competition in there. And subsequent to me checking last, yes, there was a couple parties that were already in the area. And it's a rather small area to hunt. So we, we elected to not fly into that area. And then the, the calls, the frantic calls started in Smithers. <laughs> yeah, Kyle has a few more friends to tap into and in their resources. So we, uh, so yes, flexibility is huge. You know, so we, we started out with plan A and ultimately we ended up probably on plan D. Um, and even then, we, we flew into another lake. There was two other parties in there as well, and not including people who could possibly hike in. So I think one of the important things Kyle spoke to is, you know, flexibility, and uh, you have to be flexible. So we landed in the second lake, and as soon as we, well, within an hour or two of starting to climb into the vertical part of the uh, hike, we, uh, Kyle glassed three guys standing on a ridge above us. In that exact <laughs> direct, exactly, the exact direction we wanted to head. Um, so we knew there was another party flying in about an hour after us. So we humped it pretty quick. We made it about four or five hours up, decided to set up camp for the night. And then within 20 minutes, another party of two come behind us. <laughs> <laughs> Ask if they could camp in the same spot. So unfortunately, you know, we, we chose this. This was now uh, plan C. Um, and uh, we had to evolve at that point as well. So, you know, Whenever we see hunters in the backcountry, you know, my first uh, gut instinct is, damn, you know, more competition. But then mm-hmm. inevitably you meet these people and they got the, the same loves and uh, aspirations as we do. And you sometimes make lifelong buddies, right? So great guys. Uh, 
we spent the night with them and we decided which way we'd go, which way they'd go. And uh, they did. So, but once that happens, that eliminates options. So now we have people to the west of us. Now we have people to the east of us. So where could we go? We went south. And we just kept on going south as far as we can. But uh, one thing I'd like to talk about in, in just a little bit, you know, we talked about the Wild Sheep Society of BC and all of its efforts and its successes. And I, I know I like to kid Kyle on this uh, about uh, having wildlife on the landscape, but I think we're having a lot of more hunters on the landscape as well. So <laughs> double-edged story, which is a great thing, you know, for the sheep, right? Because it's always for the sheep, Kyle, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, uh, really well said, Mike. And uh, yeah, it was interesting getting back there. And and so on that note, a shout out to uh, Carl and Nathan, a couple of really good guys we met out there on the in the backcountry, and uh, and uh, really nice to, to spend some time with them. But uh, so you and I continued to book her. So we ended up, we figure about thirty k south, right? We went a long way. You know, it was over a couple of days, so it wasn't too onerous. It was a reasonably good trail that we were on. It wasn't perfect, but. Uh, and we did have a few river crossings with me, which made it pretty interesting. But then uh, we ended up getting up in the Alpine. And um, so it was really interesting how the first three or four days of our hunt, like you said, Mike, everything was locked down. It was so hot. I'm guessing, well, there was times you were you were keeping an eye on your, you, you had the temperature function on your, your binos there. And it was around 30 degrees at times, I believe, wasn't it? Exactly. It was, I'd say conservatively at times, you know. Um, and that was at altitude. So what was our base camp? Probably about 3,500, 4,000 feet. So yeah, 30 degrees at that altitude is pretty hot. Yeah. You got, you got temperature readings in your binos? I do. I, I have a hard time focusing mine. Like, come on. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah, that was interesting. And so, you, you know, for for people maybe new to sheep hunting or or like us, you know, we – We've, we've hunted in warm conditions like that, um, but this was exceedingly so. Um, and the interesting thing is, is we we're in an area that we knew there were sheep. Um, a couple of reasons. We did see a few sheep. We seen the first couple of days, we seen about seven rams, um, but very high elevation right up on the, on the high peaks and, and like, and really tied in tight. We seen a couple come down for uh, feed one night. We seen a couple come down for some water. Other than that, they were just locked in. So we kept moving back, back, back from the lake. And uh, we got back into some really, really cool terrain. We're, we're up on a high elevation. We, we hiked all our gear up, uh, you know, which was a grind in itself, getting up to where we needed to be. And we're sitting there glassing and, and we weren't seeing anything, but there was sign everywhere. And, and Mike and I started doubting ourselves. We're like, you know, are there any animals back here? It's perfect habitat, perfect terrain. And uh, there was tons of sign, tons of tracks. There was you know, sheep sign everywhere. And, but we just didn't see a single animal. So we sat there for two days and, uh, you know, I, I was trying to rationalize is this winter habitat, which didn't really make sense because there was fresh tracks and everything like that. And so anyway, we spent two days there and eventually we just kind of, we, we ended up seeing what two ewes and two lambs, Mike, um, that, that literally came into camp. Like, I think they were about 40 yards from our tent, um, which was pretty cool to see. Um, and then, uh, we just, we bailed out of there cause we just weren't seeing anything and went to kind of a new area within the same region. So, yeah, correct. You know, um, I think I'm still owed a dinner on that sighting of the two ewes and lambs, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we, we humped it up to that pass and we set up camp. Like you said, it was a grind in itself. And what we saw to the South, there, there's no horse trail that took us in there. It was just purely grinding through the buckbrush and, uh, and the northern spruce, which, as we all know, if you spent time in the mountain, that's grueling in itself with the with your heavy pack. Made some elevation a couple thousand feet over the valley floor, set up camp uh, to another pass. I looked over a, a huge valley that ran east-west to the south of us. No horse trails going in there. So, you know, it's uh, 30 kilometers just getting to that point. So very little pressure, if any pressure. Um, possibly the outfitter will go in there every year or two. I don't know, but we didn't see any trails. But just a huge amount of terrain and it all looked very sheepy, you know, like lots of, uh, lots of feed, um, lots of escape terrain, uh, just absolutely beautiful. What every sheep hunter dreams about all year long in January, we found it, sat on it for two days, didn't see one animal, you know? Um, so, and we were just baking up there. It was incredibly hot, you know, it's just like, there's, there's no shade. Um, you're wearing sort of long sleeve shirts and a hat and a neck gaiter and glasses and sunscreen, and you're still hot. It's just unbelievably hot. So, I don't blame the animals for staying screwed up tight, but uh, it was definitely uh, made me second guess myself and, and Kyle, as he mentioned himself as well, 
because we just couldn't figure it out. You know, we thought at some point they have to feed. You know, they weren't feeding at five in the morning. They weren't feeding at nine o'clock at night. But eventually we did see a, a pattern emerge. And uh, generally the, the sheep were already bedded down at first light. And then they were getting up out of their beds. I don't know, Kyle, like almost at last light, you know, almost like eight, eight thirty. So you'd see them for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then they were gone. You know, but uh, interestingly enough, uh, conversely, the goats seem to be feeding all day, you know, but they they were definitely shedding huge. You know, they looked like really ratty. They were molting. But uh, um, yeah, the sheep, we just didn't see them for three days. So in hindsight, would it have been better to stay in that spot for a couple of days, Kyle? I'm not sure. Um, possibly, but we had no idea the weather would change so dramatically as it did a, a day later. Well, and the cool thing is, is we made the move and... Uh, we hiked it over, I guess, a valley and up on top and got onto the plateau in another area. And uh, that allowed us to see sheep elsewhere, right? So, you know, we created new opportunities, but that was associated with the weather change. As we moved over to that new area, we got up on top. That's when that big storm hit. So um, just for our listeners in the past, Mike and I have talked a little bit about this, but we use a tarp tent. We will we'll get into tents a little bit more in the gear part of this, but um, this year we took our uh, Hilleberg and, um, you know, we're grateful for that because uh, we got hammered on top. Uh, there was a big weather change came in and just the wind was howling. And I think if we had our tarp tent, we would have had to bail off the mountain and uh, we'd be running down the mountain at, you know, 1030 at night, just trying to tuck our tails in between our legs and try and find some uh, some better weather. But uh, so we got really hit with weather. But with that weather change, that brought... The, the animals started moving and we started seeing a lot more animals at that point, right? Was exactly. That, was that weather change that hit you at that, that picture you sent me where that little bit of a lake with your tent on the, the little rise, I guess we call it with the snow. That was actually before that. Um, oh, we actually okay. didn't even, we, we didn't even get any pictures up top on the second place. Cause it was, we went up there for the night and it was a cool spot. We we're a bit limited. So Mike, t- talk about your, you know, uh, transing the peak. So we we're trying to get to a new Valley and uh, talk about that experience, um, I guess, uh, when we got on top of the plateau and you went for a hike with just your, you know, without the pack. Okay. Um, I guess we can talk about the limitations of maps, uh, Google Earth. And uh, Kyle has a cool new app on his iPhone called Fat Maps, so it gives it a little more, uh, a few more features and functionality. Um, so we're, we're trying to, keeping in mind, we, we have restrictions on where we can go. We know there's people, you know, to the west and to the east. So we went as far south as we could go. Um, so we're thinking, okay, we've done this valley. Possibly we can skip over uh, to a new Surrey Valley system where we know there's no trail access. So, um, but we just don't know the, whether we can make it or not. So we had uh, spent all day changing campsites um, to from one area to another area. And this is an upper plateau, probably at about uh, six or 6,500 feet, quite high. Uh, set up camp uh, with the with the hope of getting a better view, uh, which, you know, sheep hunters, you always know you want to get high. Um, Spend more, spend more. <laughs> Sorry. You want to get, you want to get elevation? You want to get elevation? There you go. That's right. That's right. Thanks for that, Steve. Um, so we do a few more glassing, but as soon as we set up camp, uh, very barren area, there's not a, a stick of grass up there. It's just all rock and glacial till. Um, the wind started picking up and a bit of rain. So we spent, I had a little bit of a look um, over the, over the side, but I couldn't see much because the clouds were coming in. So we decided the next day I'd go on a bit of a recce see if we could find a route into the next valley rather than backtracking 30 kilometers and then heading uh, south again, 30 kilometers. We thought we just may be able to go west about uh, four or five kilometers along the valley or the mountain peaks. However, that ended up not to be um, for a couple of reasons. So wake up in the morning, do a bit of a recce. Hopefully we can find a pass as indicated by by my maps. I printed off Google Earth and uh, Kyle's app, FatMax. That maps it should we should have been able to make it from one valley to the next it shouldn't have been too much of an issue um you can usually tell by looking at one side or the other of a mountain on google maps how it looks whether it looks vertical or rounded or such but uh both the apps we're looking at were misleading it looked like we could possibly do it but we couldn't so i get up um do a bit of a recce it's about uh 30 minutes i was gone i'd say kyle and uh start the first walk was pretty easy um keeping in consideration it's probably blowing 60 70 kilometers at the moment and uh, i can't see too far maybe 100 meters and i'm making it any sheep under will know that you have rocky outcroppings sometimes on the top of these knife edge ridges so i'm making it from one rocky outcropping to the next hoping to make it only about 300 meters and then i could we could drop down to new valley and then we have a whole new hunting area for the next week for us but 
I got to the very tallest peak of the tallest mountain, which is probably in excess of 7,000 feet. And uh, I, I was crawling. I mean, I, the hunters, you know, so we're, we're ambitious and we want to get somewhere and we probably take uh, chances we normally wouldn't in our everyday life. But I'm crawling because I'm worried about uh, getting blown off that peak. And there's probably a 1500 foot drop on either side. It's maybe four feet wide. And uh, in my mind, the whole time, I remember a goat hunt last year with Kyle. We were up around Braylorn and uh, we were hiking through a pass and we were both literally lifted off our feet with our packs on, probably 60 pound packs. And neither one of us are really light guys. And uh, we are both tossed about four or five feet airborne. <laughs> so it must have been a gust, I don't know, 100, 120 kilometers an hour. So in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm thinking about that experience. And uh, so I make it to this tallest peak and I, the tallest outcropping on the tallest peak. And I look down, there's a big pile of bear crap, grizzly crap. So I'm thinking, if this location scared the crap out of a grizzly, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know? So I backtracked uh, with my tail between my legs and I told Kyle, it's like, I felt a little bad because uh, with my encouragement, you know, and uh, I got Kyle up to the top of that plateau and uh, thinking we could access another valley. And it was, uh, it was a mistake, but um, we didn't know it until we, until I went up there and did it. So we, uh, in, in the meantime, the weather kept on getting worse and worse. So we decided to uh, pack up and go to a, another location which as Kyle suggested, it uh, revealed some more ramps for us, which was a, a good decision. Yeah, right on. So let's jump into that. So yeah, we, we had a lot of great opportunities. We've seen a lot of animals actually. Um, and just anecdotally, it's worth mentioning, you talk, touched on it, that the goats were lower elevation than sheep on this trip. So the sheep were just tucked in really high, um, spent all their times kind of, uh, you know, in the high elevation stuff. And the goats, you'd see them down, like they'd be halfway down the mountain feeding, right? And we had so many, we'd probably seen 25, 30 goats on our trip and not, num numerous billies. We had those two billies at 25 yards, which we have photos of. We'll post those up at some point here. Um, so pretty cool. But um, so on the way in, we seen uh, a small band of rams, about five rams. So we never really got a great chance to age them. It was midday. They were coming down to a water source and a bowl above us. Um, I think that was day two of our trip. And then uh, I think it was day two or day three, we seen two rams that came down and fed, but they were immature as well. Um, but pretty cool to see them. And then uh, then we didn't see anything for three or four days. It was um, it was really quiet. We seen obviously lots of sign, lots of goats, but no sheep. And then I think it was about day was it around day six. That's when we we seen our biggest band of rams. I think you did you spot those nine on the on the no actually I did right. Yes, you always uh, yeah. spot them. I always spot them, yeah. The one time I actually seen some sheep. Um, anyway, we seen a band of nine rams um, up in this high bowl. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that really got our heart going. And um, so do you want to tell the story, Mike? Can you jump into that? Sorry, you're broken up there a little bit, Kyle. Um, maybe a bit of a spotty internet connection on my behalf. But uh, yeah, so um, Kyle saw a band of nine rams and from a distance, a mile or so more, we figured there was at least two or three legal sheep in there. We weren't sure if they're shooters or not, but we wanted to obviously have a closer look. In the same location, there was probably 14, I believe, goats, uh, nannies, and kids. And maybe uh, in that area, we saw one or two, I think it was, I believe it was two billies on the same mountainside. Very limited area for feeding. It was a high mountain bowl with a lot of rock, a knife edge sort of uh, uh, ridge above them. And they just feed from one side to the other in the, uh, in the brush. Uh, which, like I said, was very limited. So we watched them, and uh, all day long, we basically uh, went to bed with them still on the mountain, and we came up with a plan. And one of the things to take note in this particular area, it's does it's not really conducive to morning hunts because it's the valley. When we hiked in from the lake, you don't gain a lot of elevation. So a lot of places you'll hike in, whether it's off the highway or a lake, your initial hike in for a day or two, you're gaining maybe 1,000, 2,000 feet from the lake. So you're almost in the subalpine where we're still at this location. We're down at the valley. We're, we're back in the forest. So it's a solid three and a half to four hours uh, to get to the animals. And as Kyle mentioned, they're right on the peaks. I don't think we ever saw them more than 50 meters off the top of the, of the peaks. So if we see them in the morning, um, we know we couldn't make a morning stock on them while they're still feeding because um, it was three and a half to four hours. And that's, that's grinding, Kyle. We didn't take a lot of breaks on the way up. That's just going hard at it. Um, so we woke up in the morning, we didn't see them. Uh, we figured they'd bedded somewhere. Um, uh, but we had come up with a, a plan. We thought, uh, you know, we didn't really pattern them, but we thought maybe they'd repeat the same behavior from the previous day. 
So we just ground up this, uh, this mountainside and uh, got to this particular area um, where we're about 350 yards away. And we just stayed on top of them the whole, well, we stayed on top of this bowl until dark and they didn't feed again. So they had left the range sometime in the night. Um, so yeah, so that's the one thing that was really highlighted for me on this trip. Like obviously, or not obviously, but potentially because of the weather, they weren't repeating any of the patterns. You, you couldn't pattern these sheep. They would be on one mountain one day, you wake up the next day and they're two mountains away. And they're always moving, never emerging in the same spot. So that made it a little difficult, but uh, I don't. I would say we're crestfallen because we had a lot of uh, hunt left in us. But uh, yeah, we, we definitely knew there was three legal sheep in that band. Um, but interestingly enough, um, we're not. I'm not a wildlife biologist, but Kyle, I'd gone to get a, a drink of water the previous day when I was on the when he was on the spotting scope and came back and he says drama on the mountain. So uh, he actually saw. A, I guess I would I guess say a minor confrontation between a billy goat and a ram. And uh, the billy goat won. And so whether that had an impact on the sheep and they left the range because there was too much pressure from the goats, um, but uh, maybe that was one factor at play in that particular episode. Yeah, it was really interesting. Like literally, you we were watching this band at nine and all of a sudden there's a goat literally right in the middle of them. And I said to Mike, I said, I think there's a goat. I'd like, you know, and they're quite a ways away, right? It's, and uh, I'm like, yeah, no, it's a goat. And Mike, Mike's like, no, I don't think so. Mike looks in the spotter. He's like, yeah, it's a goat. Like it was unreal that, wow. to see them in such close proximity. But uh, I'm sitting there watching and this big old Billy, and you could tell he's just a, a, an old Billy. He was just black. He'd been rolling in the dirt and uh, just a big body, you know, but short haired because of the time of year. And, uh, and there were the big ram of the bunch, um, was there and he just ran them off the road. Like he didn't really do much. He didn't, it wasn't like they were butting heads or confronting, but he, he ran that ram off and just, and then he just went about and fed and hung out and he was there around and the other rams were kind of there. And then eventually they all just disappeared uh, while they were gone the next day. So we don't really, the goats were still there, but the, the sheep were gone. So it was interesting. Uh, pretty cool to see it actually. So, mm. um, so anyway, we, we did our stock on uh, to, to the the no name or the the uh, disappearing sheep. We did a, a phantom stock, I guess, because there were no sheep there. Um, got up on top, but we had that close encounter with the two goats. So uh, Mike and I got up to the top of the hill, and there were two billies there, and we we're getting in place to uh, be ready for you know the evening hunt, hoping that this band of nine would come out, and uh, and we get up on top, and these these goats were they're absolutely fearless they just didn't care that we were there and eventually they did meander off and i think the one goat um he did stay on top we did see him he was about 300 yards just hanging out um just he bedded down right on on top right mike exactly you know it was, it was interesting because they looked at us as almost like they're giving us a, a stand down there we're on top of a mountain with another sort of a rocky outcropping which ran about 200 meters and it was about 15 feet to the top of a vertical you know uh, on top of this outcropping and they stood there, they just put all feet down, put their heads down and just stared us down as we came closer until mm-hmm. we got maybe 10 meters away, 15, I don't know, it was so close until they, they eventually just wandered off at that point. So we, we scrambled up to the top and uh, to this plateau area and one of them, he just wasn't concerned. The other one, he, he screwed off somewhere, but this one particular goat, he just kept on feeding. He wasn't even raising his head to look at us. You know, it was, it was that crazy. Yeah, um, the pretty cool video Kyle sent me of that. I'm like, yeah. are you kidding me? And you got a tag yeah. in your pocket? How tempting was I that? I know. Well, yeah, yeah, Kyle's exercised a lot of restraint and taken a goat over the last few years. But I think this one, these guys were no-brainers. They just mm. had, they just look like patchwork monkeys. There was, <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a poodle shearing gone bad. Yeah. It was really bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a Euro mount if there ever was one, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very cool opportunity there. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. You were going to say something. Um, yeah. So uh, not really. I guess um, that was just a touch back on the success of a trip. You know, that was another highlight of the trip. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that's one element of a successful trip is having that close encounter with these these, these animals. And it's just so cool to see them up close and and uh, look at their behavior and their reactions to us, which to me was a little shocking. But I guess mm-hmm. we've gone so far south. Maybe they just don't have a lot of exposure to us or other predators or. Maybe they're they're just in the short end of the the gene pool for brains and the, <laughs> for, for mountain ungulates. I'm not sure. Oh, it's interesting too. Um, if you recall, Mike, that you know we were 
we're we're kind of camped on this creek uh edge of the creek and there was this quite a big uh there was a mountain we're at the base of uh, that probably went up about 800 or a thousand feet above us and it was a rocky outcropping and there was a goat on top of that hill as well but interesting enough there were game trails and literally right from our camp within 20 meters of our camp there was game trails and this goat had been down there cruising the game trails because there was goat hair everywhere it was just you know they were molting as mike said and you could just see where this goat had been everywhere and it kind of been down mm-hmm. there and we were just trying to figure it out there was um there was a grizzly cache there they killed a there was a young moose that had been killed at some point and he cached the the moose mm-hmm. and then um so that goat was cruising around in that grizzly territory and just it doesn't you know mike and i were trying to rationalize what was going on why he would be down there low elevation right it's it's not the rut um, it's, there, there's lots of food, there's lots of water. He has a water source up there above us. So mm-hmm. it was an interesting, interesting perspective to see that I thought. So yeah, it was. maybe, maybe he's fighting with some rounds, right? Got his ass kicked and <laughs> got pushed down the mountain. <laughs> yeah. It, it looked like a goat murder scene. They were losing so much hair. Wow. It, it was crazy. The, uh, the butt brush. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I have a dog that creates its. It has so much uh, hair. It has. It creates its own little animals every mm-hmm. day in the corner of our house. And it, it doesn't even come close to these things. It, it was crazy. Really, there, there was literally sweaters of it along the branches. Wow. Yeah, it wow. was nuts. It was insane. Yeah. My dog sheds as you like a like a a goat as you know. That's yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if anybody cool, can answer so- that question, I'd be interested. Why were the goats in the valley having food and water up top? And no pressure. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So um, we we did our play on the nine rams. Um, they disappeared on us. So we um, said okay. We and we knew we knew previously. We'd seen the five rams previously um, from a another bull. So we decided okay. Well, we'll go check those ones out. And now at, now we're at this point where we're we have two days left on our hunt. We basically have we got about twenty five k back to the lake, and I think we had two days left uh, while we're getting picked up in three days. So we basically had one day to make a play. So we start heading towards the lake, knowing that there's that band of five and we, we start heading and right away um, Mike's like sheep, um, like almost instantly. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't get very far and you you were on the sheep. So um, we, we get all our stuff out. It's the same sheep we've seen before, but we never really got a chance to age them because it was midday sun was in our eyes and we never really had a good opportunity, but right away we got the spotter out and sure enough, there's definitely one good legal ram in there that we're pretty confident about. So, uh, uh, jump into that story for us, Mike. Yeah, sure thing. So, um, we'd move positions again. So we decided to hunt on the way back and we had a, a little bit of success coming in as we'd seen four, which were more than likely the same sheep we're seeing at this point. So we're tired. We're, we're a little bit, I wouldn't say we're exhausted at this point, but, uh, yeah, we're definitely tired and feeling the effects of a week and a half on the mountain. And, uh, so we decided to have an evening glass. So for those of you who may be new to hunting, you know, it's all about perspective. So if you can't get elevation, you know, and your, your valley's pretty wide, um, try to go to the opposite side of the valley that or opposite mountain of the valley that you're trying to view. So this mountain was to the West. So we found a hillside to the East and we climbed up maybe 500 to 700 feet, which just gave us a little bit extra perspective where we could see a little bit more of the tops. And that's where the sheep were hanging out. They were like, they weren't dropping down more than, you know, 50 meters off the very top. They're feeding right on the top, sticking to the game trails and, as a lot of people know, yeah, if they stick to those trails and they move between those uh, rocky outcroppings, you might not even see them. There's these little bowls and plateaus up there that unless you're up there, you never see. So we'd seen five rams and uh, we watched them for a couple hours and we decided to make a play on them the next day. So one of them looked exceptional. Uh, two of them were maybes and uh, and uh, the other two were definitely sublegals, probably about five or six years old, somewhere around that level. Um, so we got everything ready that night. We knew it was going to be a big day because now we're at lower elevation and this is a huge mountain. And so we're going to have to make our way through a valley bottom, a stream crossing, and then through a lot of spruce, maybe I'd say 1500 feet of, uh, that, uh, Northern spruce, which could be really tough. And then we had to make it through another couple thousand feet of buckbrush all uphill. And then a lot of last little bit of vertical, maybe 500 feet of vertical to get to the top. So we had, uh, Glass this one, but we really couldn't tell. You know, he looked great. He looked uh, heavy. He looked long, 
my guess was he was yeah, like well over eight, but there's no guarantees at that, that range, especially we'd seen him there again in the evening and he's to the west. So you're now you're looking into the sun. So the only way to really age him and to see what class of animal he was is to get much closer. So we, uh, we made our way up that mountain at record time. Hey, Kyle, it wasn't easy. It was hot. Uh, it was humid in the trees. Uh, we took two liters of water with us. And I think we drank all of it. Um, finally, uh, all day we, we made it to the top and, uh, we set up uh, our spotting scope and our, our packs, and we just sat. We sat for a few hours. Um, then it got windy. So it was probably blowing again 40, 50 kilometers an hour, maybe gusting a little bit more. So we orientated ourselves uh, on a, one side of a, a rocky outcropping that uh, we could at least sit there without uh, being bothered by the wind all day. The only upside was the bugs. There was no bugs. <laughs> We'd uh, been battling these horrendous bugs for 10 days as well. Um, so uh, we waited for three or four hours. Um, and uh, even though it was a warm day, being in that wind and in the shadow of that rocky outcropping, it, quite caught, it got quite chilly. So I decided to go for a little bit of a walk. I guess we'd expected to see the animals before that. Um, so yeah, I went for about, I don't know, four or 500 meter walk, trying to stay off the skyline, just looking into a couple of different bowls. And uh, I sat down and, uh, you know, I've, I've I've always been told and I've always uh, understood in my mind that, you know, you can find sheep where you may not expect them. And one area I, I know I always overlook, I should spend more time on, is these, uh, under the glaciers, you have these bowls and these recently deglaciated areas where there's no vegetation whatsoever. It just looks like moonscape and nothing would ever live there. But uh, I've seen rams in those situations a few times. And this time it just is about, uh, just about bit me because I was just about ready to walk along the skyline close to this bowl. And uh, I sat down, I crawled to the edge, and I looked down, and we, I found the five rams, uh, which was pretty exciting to me. So I, uh, I looked to make sure they're all the same ones. I only saw four, so I was starting to second-guess myself because this year he, uh, Kyle's the man on the trigger, and I told him I'd probably seen a legal ram. Let's go for it. So I encouraged him to climb this uh, few thousand feet. So I basically uh, went back, got Kyle. We repositioned all of our gear to stay on this ram for the day and uh, hopefully judge him. But, uh, uh, yeah, so we got pretty reasonably close. Maybe uh, at times we'd move, but anywhere between 1,000 and 1,200 meters, which should usually be uh, ample distance to judge the animal, you know, sort of age-wise and for length. However, however with the wind, uh, it was crazy. You know, so we had a good scope, a Swarovski spotting scope. Um, we had on them all the time. We had a, I wouldn't say the top of the line, but a, a pretty good tripod, which may have been our downfall to a certain extent because we we're having a bit of problem. There was a little bit of wobble between the head and the spotting scope. So with that wind, um, it was really, really hard to see how big he was because we we're when we weren't dealing with the wind, we we're dealing with the heat waves. Um, so I probably had my eyes on that ram for about uh, two hours, would you say, Kyle? Somewhere around there? Yeah, something like that, exactly. And... Uh, I definitely could not tell, you know, um, whether he was legal or not. My gut told me he was probably nine or 10, but, uh, you know, pretty sure, you know, you have the, the parallax cause you're up on top of the mountain, you're looking down. Um, he looked legal, but I couldn't confirm it for lengthwise. And we definitely couldn't see, we couldn't age him. I mean, sometimes with that wind, the way it was, the ram were hard. It was actually hard to keep it in the field of view of the spotting scope. That's how bad the wind was. So we, we watched it, um, the four of the smaller rams that were with them, the two potential legal ones, uh, there was two potentially legal, maybe around eight or nine years old, who wanted to have a better look at, uh, but weren't quite so excited about, they had fed off. But due to our location on the mountain, they were below us and we couldn't see which direction they went. And we didn't want to reposition for fear of uh, the bigger uh, ram seeing us and spooking him. So we just locked into that position for a couple hours and Kyle was patient with me um, watching these rams. I'm like, I'm like, dude, it's, it, to me, it looks like an awesome ram. It looks great. It's heavy. It looks long. I just can't say whether it's legal or not right now, you know? So that's where the ethics come into it, you know? So you definitely never want to shoot and measure. So, and, uh, you want to be, you know, over a hundred percent on these animals. So, um, we could have repositioned to get within a, a distance where Kyle could have shot, um, but with the chance of spooking this animal. So, we definitely wanted to age him first prior to being put in a position where Kyle would have to set up quickly and shoot. Just couldn't do that. So 
we where we were at is where we'd saw, seen the Rams the previous day. We knew if they repeated their behavior from the previous day, they'd have to pass us. Uh, maybe closer than we wanted, but they definitely had to pass us. And all we'd need is a few seconds at a closer distance without the wind in order to judge this this Ram and to be 100%. So he could have gone three ways and uh, only one way he would have fed out of our out of our ability or he would have fed away from us and uh unfortunately he didn't get out of his bed until after 8 p.m and uh he started feeding uh pretty quickly uh, or he started moving and feeding and he was he was definitely on the move so i said kyle we gotta we gotta make some uh adjustments here so let's drop down a little bit uh, we had a little bit of cover let's get a couple hundred meters closer to where he is because where we we're positioned he would have been on us before we know it we had no perspective of him coming up the mountainside he was right below us and we we had had a face-to-face -face meeting at about five meters so we repositioned and we're looking for him and we saw him basically uh following the other rounds where we suspected they had gone um in retrospect where we had suspected they're gone and he was on the move and we saw him i think at uh 500 meters maybe a little bit less and kyle's got this great gun works he spends a heck of a lot of time practicing and i know on a calm day, uh, it would not be an issue. It would be a chip shot for Kyle. Um, but, you know, sort of uh, that nagging sort of ethics in your in back of your mind again, it's like we just can't be 100% on this animal. So we basically, at that point, we just let him walk away. Um, he wasn't spooked, I would say. He was just uh, trying to catch up to his uh, band of brothers. And uh, so we just watched this magnificent animal walk away for about five minutes till he was around the corner. And unfortunately, it's now it's probably about 8.20 at nighttime. We're four hours from camp. And in order to intercept him on the other side of the mountain, it would probably taken it uh, probably an hour to 90 minutes to get in position, which would have been after dark. So we made a decision to let him grow bigger for a year. And uh, we retreated with our tail between our legs. But uh, all in all, it was an amazing experience, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And just to see that quality of Ram, you know, he's so heavy. And, you know, these experienced guys, the Clays of the world would have no problem. They would know he was legal and and we're sure he was, right? But it was one of those things where we you didn't have the luxury of knowing for sure. So, you know, you always say it, Mike, if there's any doubt, there is no doubt. And uh, let him walk away and somebody's going to see a bigger Ram next year. And uh, I guess we have to decide whether or not we're the ones that want to go chase him or we let somebody else get him, right? So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, no, it, he's, he's an animal we can all dream about until next year again, and he'll be another couple inches longer, hopefully. Yeah, very cool. So, uh, yeah, we peeled off the mountain. So we were about four hours up and about two hours down, and we literally got into, you know, we were crossing the creek in the dark. Um, I just about got my underwear wet crossing with my Crocs and no pants on, and uh, Mike, uh, rightly so, took this circuitous route that kept him nice and dry, but uh I think we got back to our camp that night about, was it 11 o'clock we got back into our bed? Probably something around there, yeah. It, it was about late. Um, yeah. It was pitch black by the time we got into camp. So, um, And then then we were forced with a um, uh, a 21K hike back to camp the next day, So, um, <laughs> which, uh, which was interesting. Uh, fortunately, it was downhill and fairly easy going, but... Uh, and then, you know, just dreaming the whole way back about the missed opportunity on that ram, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, in, in, in retrospect, it was absolutely the right decision to make. You know, we had that. It was a solid opportunity. But, yeah, though, it just feel so bad to take a sublegal ram. I, I never want to go there. No, definitely not. Yeah. I, th yeah. I think one of the, the highlights of the trip, too, Kyle, maybe you could speak to this, of the, uh, of the aggressive porcupine. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, it's funny, I, I talked to, to Mike and, he, you know, he never had much experience with porcupines in the mountains um, for years. And now these past five or six years, we've just been plagued with uh, porcupines. So uh, it, it, this particular trip, and this is super interesting, I've never seen this. And again, if you guys have had experience, uh, any of our listeners with porcupines with this, let us know. And if you know anything about them, but we're about 6,500 feet elevation. We, we climbed up on top, very high elevation, almost one of the highest points. There was no vegetation, uh, well, no trees to speak of. Um, it was, you know, basically a deglaciated area. There was a little bit of a high, higher elevation lake, but there was nothing else. And there was this porcupine on top of uh, snow. There was just a snowpack, and he was just hanging out on the snow. And uh, and it was the biggest and oldest porcupine Mike and I had ever. It, it, you know, we talk about these rams with a Roman nose. This por porcupine had a Roman <laughs> nose. 
<laughs> like he, he was, I got a picture of him. He's ancient. So what happens? He started chasing Mike. And, uh, and I, I got, I got video of it. It was actually pretty comical the way Mike did it, but he was, he was super aggressive, but I have no idea why a porcupine would be up there. There's obviously a lot of trees and stuff and bark, but there was no, uh, there was nothing for him to eat whatsoever up there. So I don't know what he was doing at that elevation. So yeah, crazy stuff. You know, generally I look at porcupines, I feel a little sorry for them. They look a little cute, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah. these misunderstood creatures of the mountains, right? That everybody wants to kill. But uh, yeah, this this particular one, he was not a pretty porcupine. Yeah, he was he was an, he was the old man of the mountain, and he was cantankerous. And he would, <laughs> if, if a porcupine can charge, he was charging, but it was in slow motion. Yeah, Kyle's filming. I'm like, this is like a horror movie in slow motion because you'd you'd waddle towards me with his head down. And uh, I would back up 15 feet or so. Then he'd, he'd keep on coming. He was, he was relentless, right? So um, it was, there was no jeopardy unless I fell down and failed to get up again. But uh, it, was, it was pretty funny. I've never seen that kind of behavior in a porcupine before. Mm -mm. Yeah, That's so awesome. on that note, you know, we've had so many different experiences. Uh, um, we came back to our tent one day, and there was a porcupine hanging out of our tent. Just uh, But in previous years, um, you know, we've had them uh, – so we had one – uh, I had quills in my one uh, therm arrest, so there was that experience. Um, we we had uh, I had a stone glacier backpack. It chewed halfway through the belt of my stone glacier, um, and there was one one I think it was was it last year or two years ago that uh, he just kept he or she kept coming back to the tent, and I don't think we slept. I was so angry at the end of the night. We were chasing them off with hiking poles trying to scare this thing off and it just kept coming back over and over and over again we ended up having to move because we were afraid it was going to destroy our camp um because it was doing some serious it, it already chewed halfway through the belt of my stone glacier so um it was uh yeah we've had a lot of porcupine issues these these past four or five years yeah they're absolutely relentless sometimes and i would say we've we've hazed them <laughs> And they just keep on coming back for more punishment with our tarp tents. You know, it's, it's basically a, a shaped tarp with a bit of bug, bug, bug netting on the bottom of it. And I was sleeping and I see this apparition slash porcupine go within like six inches of my face as he's walking around the tent looking for an opening. <laughs> so that definitely gets your attention. But uh, I think I've seen Kyle maybe twice and mad and in, in how long we know each other Kyle almost two decades but uh that was one of the times so. yeah <laughs> but if we found stones it might have been a different outcome yeah 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 interesting times so okay so back to the lake and um yeah we we finally made it back we actually we flew some beers in with us so we flew in um, a frying pan a stove and we flew in some was was it potatoes, Mike? We flew in, or what are we flying? For? <laughs> <laughs> Onions and garlics. So yeah, we we decided we're gonna you know in planning for our stone sheep at the lake, we'd we'd fly all the stuff in, and uh, Mike Mike had talked about these potatoes he'd flown. So we didn't have any stone sheep, unfortunately. But Mike was talking about oh, I got potatoes and onions and garlic back at the the lake. Well, we get back to the lake and. Mike forgot to, to put the potatoes in. So we're like, oh, <laughs> I've never been so disappointed not to have potatoes in my entire life. 14 days of freeze dried. And uh, and I was actually sad that we couldn't have potatoes, which is really sad, actually. <laughs> it is sad. You know, I was, I was trying to incentivize Kyle to keep the pace up. I'm like, dude, when we get back to the lake, there's potatoes, there's onions, garlic, seasoning salt. I know it's not sheep meat, but it's fresh food. I get back there. I'm like, Damn. <laughs> so and the funny thing is you look at me and you're totally serious. You're like, do you think we could just have the onions? I'm like, no, we, can't, we cannot just have the onions. It's going to be disgusting. Uh, but anyway, we flew, uh, we bought three six packs in, in anticipation too. We thought, okay, we'll have, we'll have some beer back at the lake. So we just hiked 21K. We're exhausted. It's raining, it's wet, and it's windy. It was a miserable, miserable day. And Mike and I both had a beer and halfway through, we're just like, we're just exhausted. We dump our beer out and go to bed. You know, it's like, yeah, so we flew the beer back out with us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I guess we're lightweights in that regard, but uh, we had this huge party envisions in our mind with sheet meat and uh, music and <laughs> a little bit of dancing on Kyle's part and potatoes. <laughs> None of that came to fruition. No, no, just the dancing, right? Maybe not. Well, well, okay. That is a perfect segue to the question. I, I had a couple of people message me and go, so when are you doing a, a podcast with Kyle next? And I said, well, today. Well, I've, I've got a question. 
So ties in with the dancing back at camp, your status, Kyle, you guys got married. It seems <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> we see you come back into signal. All of a sudden Kyle Stelter is married. We know you just come out of the bush with Mike and it kind of goes together. So chat on that a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, yeah. It, he, he, I, Steve, he could only deny my advances for so long. I, I tend to agree. Tend to agree. <laughs> yeah, you've because, because you know uh, my you know my allure, Steve. Yeah, well, I do. Twenty minutes ago, I did hear Kyle say we we I, I wrote it down. We hiked back to our bed. We didn't say beds. <laughs> if you don't believe me, I'll 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 I'll, sh- I'll highlight that in the episode. You said bed, not not. Uh, Okay, this is percent of his backpack is a queen size mattress, but uh, th- this is devolving very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, good. Yeah, so anyway, great trip. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> oh, goodness, you guys are incorrigible. Um, anything else? Are we missing anything from the trip? Any other highlights, Mike? Anything we want to touch on before we wrap um, up? No, I mean, I, I guess that's for another podcast, right? We talked about, we're going to talk about tips and tricks and things we may have learned um, and things we may endeavor to do better next time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we hit most of it. So we spent, uh, we flew in on the 29th, um, got in the 29th, hiked, yeah, we got in first thing in the morning, hiked the entire day, and then we flew out on the 10th. So we had, uh, I guess, a full 13 days in there and uh yeah we've seen 20 25 rams or 20 uh, probably and so uh great experience overall uh, just great to see that our northern stone sheep are doing well in that region anyway and uh and yeah it was just a great trip uh i was i really enjoyed our time there for sure so yeah i think that uh yep. that hits it on the head anything we're missing steve no just it, it sounded like a great time and i look forward to being there with you next year for that big round yeah, right on. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, he's he's going to be there for somebody for sure. Absolutely. So 